turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about world views, which include, well, monotheism and atheism and pantheism and panentheism and deism and finite godism and polytheism. We talk about world religions. We talk about the past, which includes the subject of history. And we talk about the future which incorporates, at least in part, the idea of prophecy. And again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. We've sort of set aside Tuesdays typically as an opportunity to ask the really hard questions, but throughout the week I've noticed that many of you have been asking me some extremely difficult questions, which I'm happy, happy to try to answer, and as an ongoing caveat, uh, disclaimer, if you will, that um, I don't know the answer to everything. So if I don't know the answer, I'm just going to say I don't know the answer. But again, um, happy to take your calls on Tough Question Tuesdays about the Bible, about the historical and biblical Jesus, and about what people call essential Christianity, or what we might even use the term orthodox Christianity, 303-873-1935. And by orthodox, I don't mean Greek orthodox, Syrian orthodox, Russian orthodox, although I'm happy to talk about any and all of those things as well. 303-873-1935. There's so much that I wanted to to talk about, and I've already uh, got a question about um, does God have a physical body, which I am um, happy to, to to answer that question as well. But one of the, the headlines in the news is, um, is the Alabama Supreme Court ruling. Now, you might have heard right before my program came on the news uh, cycle at Salem um, Media's um, news site, that the that the Alabama Supreme Court has ruled that frozen embryos are children under state law, and I find that remarkable. I'm happy for the ruling, um, and also included in the ruling was a statement by one of the justices that the idea is that human beings are human beings in the womb, made in the image of God. So the the Alabama Supreme Court has ruled that frozen embryos can be considered children under state law. Now, this is a decision that critics said could have real implications for fertility treatments. So the decision was based on a pair of wrongful death cases that were brought by three couples who had frozen embryos. These embryos were destroyed in an accident at a fertility clinic. 
and the justices citing anti-abortion language in the Alabama Constitution ruled, this is interesting, an 1872 state law allowing parents to sue over the death of a minor child, quote, applies to all unborn children regardless of their location. And I thought, wow, unborn children are children, according to the written statement. The Justice J. Mitchell wrote in the Friday's majority ruling, <clears throat> he wrote, quote, unborn children are children without exception based on developmental stage, physical location, or any other ancillary characteristics. So I'll have more to say about that. But 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, my question. Your, my question's uh, kind of around the area of free will uh-huh. and, like, when it begins, because I've been talking with some, like, Calvinist friends, and they seem to be telling me that until God, like, creates in us a regeneration by being born again, that we don't have free will, and then it only begins after that point. Yeah, I, I think in order to answer that question, we have to sort of toy with the idea of what exactly is free will. At what point do human beings have the ability to choose or choose otherwise? And do they have free will? And if they have free will, in their free will, can they rebel against God? Is their rebellion itself an act of choice? Now, again, if our Calvinist friend says, actually... Um, the unbeliever, the unregenerate, has no no uh, ability other than to act in rebellion. Well, then we have to ask another question. Well, does the unbelieving, unregenerate person have the ability to respond to the gospel? Do they have the free will to choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord? Do they have the ability to repent of their sin? Do they have the ability to trust Christ? Um, or would they be doing that against their will? So the way that I would, I would um, begin the discussion is that I think that free will means that God gives human beings an opportunity to make choices that genuinely affect their destiny. Now, again, does does that begin at birth? Uh, at, can a one-year-old or a two-year-old have a genuine free will in the sense of can they choose between chocolate and and blue blueberry, you know, vanilla ice cream? That's that's a different kind of a thing. And then the other thing that I would say is, does that do human beings have the ability to choose freely anything? Like, can they go to the moon without benefit of a rocket ship? So whatever free will means, it doesn't mean an unlimited ability to choose, period, because it can't mean that a man can choose to be a woman or a woman can choose to be a man, at least in my understanding of both biology and theology. So yeah. if your question then is, 
does free will, the way the Calvinists define it, make it impossible for human beings to be saved? In other words, is the Calvinist correct when he or she claims that you are saved or damned forever because you were saved or damned forever? From eternity past, yeah. Right. And and that's part of the problem. I mean, I, I kind of want to have discussions with people along these lines, and yet I think sometimes the uh, phraseology or the semantics, and those are really key portions to how we know and understand the Bible. It's, it's, it's tough because the definitions that they use and that I want to use are different, and so it's like... Right. And Their remember, interpretation of the Bible is going to be completely off from what mine is, you know, just from the get-go, and clear, so we're not even clearly crossing yeah. different. <laughs> so, so my short answer would be this: the Bible makes it clear that we not only have the ability to choose, but we have the responsibility yeah. to choose wisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, again, Jesus identifies a problem with unbelievers. He says, you refuse to come to me and have life in John 540. Well, according to the Calvinists, the person (laughs) should say, because you made me that way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) And and I don't see it in Scripture, but this is the first time I've ever heard that somebody said, well, until you're born again, you're not even going to have the ability to choose, and then... Well, Once you, you do, on. then you can get things. Okay. Yeah, you hold on, and I'll at least make one tiny comment when we come back about okay. what you just said. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program. The number's 303-873-1935. We were talking with Steve. And, Steve, before we went to the break, you know, you made uh, the statement that you've been talking with some people who basically made the claim that you have to be born again or you have to be regenerate before you can believe. And I wanted to to just, uh, because when you said it, obviously there's many people listening right now who have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And so what I wanted to point out is that it is true that there are people who make the claim that you have to be born again so you can believe, or that faith is a consequence or a result of regeneration. I believe the scriptures teach that you believe so that you can be born again. So the big question is, does belief, is faith and belief a consequence of, of, of being born again, or is faith, the precondition or the requirement for regeneration. So so I understand the dilemma, and I am sensitive and sympathetic to the dilemma. Let me put it a different way. Mm-hmm. How can human beings who are limited by a sin nature ever choose to do what is good? Well, I think that clearly there are people who are not born again, who can choose to do what's good. I mean, if a mother feeds her children, is that good? If a, uh, if a person uh, saves another person's life, is that an act of goodness? So the way that I would expand it is I, I actually do believe human beings, because of their sin nature, 
cannot choose to be saved. In other words, can a person, just like I alluded to earlier, can you can you go to the moon without a benefit of a rocket or establish a Mars colony without some sort of infrastructure? So I am willing to concede that mm-hmm. it's the grace and the power of God yeah. that makes possible to choose salvation. John fifteen sixteen. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So now we have the other dilemma. Did we choose Jesus, or did Jesus choose us? Well, according to the Bible, Jesus chose us. But yet, there is this invitation. Remember, Jesus says, believe in me, repent and believe. So so we have this dilemma. Does God simply appear to offer salvation? Or 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 is it a scam? In other words, is it is is it not real or is it real? Yeah. And and so how do we how do we reconcile that? And the way that I reconcile that is that the Holy Spirit draws a person now, does the Holy Spirit draw the person in a regenerate way that makes them even possible to respond to the gospel in saving faith and true trust? Yeah, it, it, the thing that I found surprising and had never heard before was that you were born again. It's like a a preborn in order to be reborn kind of idea. And well, I mean, what well, you, you were talking about was faith faith and grace mixed, that infusion, does it have to be get, uh, put into us or does it exist out there and we well, we go well, around searching and, again, and groping for it until we find it and then uh, based on that, we actually decide to make a choice to well, even uh, turn our lives over rather than live our own life and, and die to self. You know? Right, and, and using even your word of infusion – does yeah. the presence of grace, and the Bible says each person is given a measure of faith, um, yeah. does that infusion, um, I'm going to use the term, does it rise to the level of regeneration? Yeah. And, and or, or does, again, response to the invitation... And by invitation, I don't mean me talking or you talking. I'm talking about the invitation that comes from the Holy Spirit who says, you should believe. Um, You should believe. You should repent and believe. So I'm thinking of Jesus' words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, And it says from in, in Acts excuse me, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Acts 3.19, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Why would he say that unless it's possible? Oh, exactly. Well, and there's, yeah. So you understand my my, my point, that, that, again, apparently, apparently, the gospel heard and believed saves. 
But is is it possible apart from the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Is it well, apart yeah, I mean, from right? Yeah. So, but Nobody... it, it, yeah. So that's where I'm, the struggle becomes: where do you draw the line between this powerful pulling of the Holy Spirit, and does it rise to what Calvinists believe? an actual regenerate moment that means you're saved. And are you saved apart from Christ? Are you saved uh, apart from believing the gospel? But the gospel's out there, and that's what he presented, and, and he makes that as an offer. And I think if we decide to move towards it, and there's enough in our conscience and our uh understanding of you know what we can and can't do on our own that we uh finally give up on trying to do it ourselves and say i'm gonna i'm gonna go to you and move towards you to say you i need your salvation because apart from you i can do nothing and if you're gonna um you know be the only way that i can and turn my life over fully and you'll you'll accept me. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the prayer, you know, the sinner's prayer, basically, and say, uh, not not my will, but your will be done. And so, if you're willing to place your spirit in me, then I can be born again. I believe it's all a one-time action. Basically, we could be drawn, but then once we get to that point, we decide, yeah, I want to choose you. Then the choice is made, and then he go he looks at our heart and he sees whether we were sincere or. or uh, genuine enough to say, yeah, I'm going to place my Holy Spirit in you. Now you're saved. And that's an immediate one-time, you know, once-for-all uh, thing that he does. Yeah, yeah exactly. John, Not a process and, where you have to go through this step to get to that step, and then he, right. he's done it all, and you had no choice or no options in it. And it's like, I otherwise, why do we turn and repent from anything? Because we, we weren't doing anything, obviously, good or bad of ourselves. And we can't do anything good of ourselves. Basically, that's that total depravity thing until our, the Spirit of God actually indwells us, I believe, because that's when it's actually done for the right reasons with the right motives. Right. In other words, it doesn't rise to the level of, dare we right. use the word, merit. But yes, it, in exactly. John one twelve, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children uh-huh. of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor right. of the will of man, yeah. but of God. So there we have it. And i sorry his, I took so long. but it, No, that, you're great. And his salvation plan is, is what it was, and he had to do it all because we couldn't do anything to, to create any of what was going to be, you know, uh, edifying, edifying to give God glory or any of it. He had to present it all and give it to us to, you know, embrace. Hey, thanks for your call. You can hear the thanks. music. I got to go, yeah. but thanks so much for calling. I appreciate calling. it, Gina. Thank you. Hey, you are welcome. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gina Geraci. So glad you could join me on this Tough Question Tuesday. Would love to take your call. 303 303- 873-1935, before we had our call, I was talking about the Alabama Supreme Court ruling that uh, frozen embryos are children under state law. 
and I was talking about the fact that uh, that the facts of the case surrounded um, three couples who had frozen embryos destroyed in an accident at a fertility clinic, and the justices cited anti-abortion language in the Alabama Constitution, and they ruled that an 1872 state law allowing parents to sue over the death of a minor child applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. Now, that regardless of the location was interesting because it meant, where? what if the unborn child is in her mother's uterus, okay? What if the unborn child is in a clinic, in a freezer? Now, what's interesting, because the court rules that unborn children are children, and the court ruled without exception based on the developmental stage or physical location, many critics basically said that... um, that this is going to harm a woman's right to kill her unborn child. Well, I can only hope so. But the ruling brought a rush of criticism and then the impact on fertility treatments and and the whole process of freezing embryos. Now, what's interesting, again, is how did the courts view frozen embryos in the past and how do courts typically view frozen embryos? Well, it was considered property. The unborn child, the frozen embryo, was considered property. And a group called the decision... now. Uh, Barbara Calera, CEO of Resolve, which is the National Infertility Association, she said in an interview, quote, this ruling is stating that a fertilized egg, which is a clump of cells, is now a person. It really puts into question the practices of IVF or in vitro fertilization. Now, I think she's right. The court ruling is that this being, if you will, is not simply a clump of cells, but they have all the genetic information to become and are a person. Now, this particular group, they're not happy for the decision. They think that the decision's a terrifying development for the one in six people who are impacted by infertility and in vitro fertilization. In other words, they're terrified that you have to have a principled approach to creating and preserving and disposing of life. And so they're right. You mean we can't just create embryos and then just destroy them like they're trash. And it's interesting, too. um, The justices ruled that wrongful death lawsuits by the couples could proceed. And 
Chief Justice Tom Parker issued a concurring opinion in which he quotes the Bible in discussing the meaning of the phrase, the sanctity of unborn life in the Alabama Constitution. He basically writes, and I quote, even before birth, all human beings bear the image of God and their lives cannot be destroyed without effacing his glory. Now, that word effacing is a word that means to mar, or we get the word deface from it. Effacing means to damage something. So Justice Greg Cook, who filed the only dissent to the majority opinion, said that the 1872 law did not define minor child and was stretched from the original intent to cover frozen embryos. But I'm wondering if this case is going to be appealed. But right now, in the state of Alabama, embryos are people. 303-873-1935. I I came across another interesting... uh, Obviously, many of you are aware of the tragic, tragic shooting that took place at the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. It made national headlines. This is the Lakewood Church that is pastored, dare I use that term loosely, by Joel Osteen. Um, and again, shoot being shot at a church is unbelievably bad, but it's bad being shot at a parade and it's bad being shot wherever you happen to be. But what many people don't know is that there were literally in 2023, at least 436 incidents of church vandalism, which included arson, gun related incidents, bomb threats, and other criminal acts. So yeah, the problem is escalating. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. Hey. Hey, I have a question for you. It's Tough Question Tuesday, yeah? Yeah, it is. Okay. So can you find any correlation with, with the migrant crisis going on in our country with the understanding that the human condition kind of is similar to the time of Deuteronomy. So if we looked at 28, Deuteronomy 28, 43 through 45, could that be used as a warning with current times? That's a good question because, again, when you think about the, pro, the, the, uh, the warning in Deuteronomy, the, the, the warning has to do with our response to illegal, or I, I should say, to, my, to, 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 to movement. And so if we ask and we answer the question, d- d- does sovereignty and, and law and rule of law, did that play an important part in, in the prohibition against mistreating uh, the sojourner. Now, the sojourner 
is different, if you will, from the illegal immigrant, or dare we use the term illegal alien. In Exodus chapter 22, it says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And I think that that's still true in the sense of if someone comes here illegally, should we shoot them? Should we hang them? Should we kill them? No, that doesn't seem to be the right answer. In Leviticus chapter 19, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the, the, the stranger who sojourns with you as a native. Now, again, the stranger and the sojourner doesn't mean a criminal who comes illegally. Do we have the right to uh, enforce law, enforce borders? I think that the answer is yes. So we have to have a compassionate and a merciful immigration policy. I don't think we have either a, a coherent or a compassionate or merciful immigration policy. It's really messed up. So we should take some clues from what the Bible has to say. <laughs> hey, thank you for your right, call. You. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the number is 303-873-1935 if you want to join me on the program. 303 303- 873-1935. And uh, one of the things I wanted to get to, and maybe I should get to it now, is the subject, if you will, of um, does God have a physical body? So I'll try and answer that. And by the way, we have a an article on that very subject. It got questions, your questions, biblical answers. And that includes uh, some other questions, including, um, you know, some of the, you know, what does the Scripture, why does the Scripture emphasize the right hand of God or the finger of God or the breath of God? So does that mean that God has a physical body? And so that's the question. Does God have a physical body? And both the Bible and 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 good philosophy report that God is non-physical, that God is a spirit being. In John 4, 24, Jesus says exactly that. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so when you see the passages of Scripture, like Luke 24, 39, "'See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself,' Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Well, the the spirit being doesn't have flesh and bones, but Jesus had a resurrected body. And so I'll come back to that, but happy to, uh, to elaborate on that, but happy to take your call, 303 Eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Let's see who's up. Shelley, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. How can my I help you? My question for you. Uh, my question for you is, um, you know how it says that you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Jesus Correct. says that. 
Well, I'm wondering, is that the same like for us with guns? Because if we're using them for protection, because Jesus, Jesus didn't hurt anybody, even though they killed him for us. That's that's a great question because there's a broad way and a narrow way of thinking about that. So let's go right to the proverb itself, where okay. it says, "Live by the sword or die by the sword." Now mm-hmm. it's it's an idiom in our culture, which means in part what goes around comes around. If you use violence, if you use threats, if you use intimidation. The facts are that you might suffer a bad outcome because of violence or intimidation. Now, the proverb comes from a situation where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You probably remember the story. Uh, Jesus is just about to be arrested. And after Jesus is betrayed by Judas, a group of soldiers close in to arrest him. And then, and then in an attempt, what the Bible seems to indicate is a rash attempt to protect Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword and strikes the servant of the high priest, and he cuts off his ear. Now, a couple of things. Is it wrong for Peter to have a sword? No. Did Peter, did Jesus ask Peter to cut off the servant's ear? No, he, Peter was trying to cut off his head. <laughs> okay. So the last miracle that Jesus ever performs is to reattach that ear, trying to deal with Peter's misguided effort to protect Jesus. So Jesus rebukes Peter. He wants to stop the bloodshed. And I'm saying all of this because he tells Peter, all who draw the sword will die by the sword, Matthew twenty six fifty two, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now, is that true? Does, does everyone who's ever carried a gun, did they die by a gunshot wound? No. No. So is it wrong to protect yourself? No. Is it wrong to have a gun? No. Um, but what happens... So, so in, in the broadest sense, Jesus is trying to prevent Peter from being arrested because that's not, that's not Jesus's goal. Jesus's goal isn't uh, to have Peter arrested. And so the, the Proverbs meaning, I think, is a person who lives violently is going to probably or at, at least runs the risk of, of dying violently. Because violence begets violence. Now, again, I'm not a person who thinks that guns kill people or swords cut people. I think people hurt people. Exactly. And so that's my view. My view is that the best way to stop a bad person with a gun is to have a good person with a gun. Or imagine... How do you stop a bad person with a hammer or a bad person with a knife Mm -hmm. or a bad person with enough fentanyl to kill every man, woman, and child in the state of Colorado? Mm, So, yeah. So, So I think overall it means 
but to your point, and, and this is maybe the most important point, if you live in a culture of violence that condones violence, that promotes violence, that glorifies and celebrates violence, that's bad, and it's going to have unbelievably bad results. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much. It's just been, you know, it came on my heart, and I was like, i got to get to the bottom of this. Hey, well, thank you for your so, call. Yes, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate that. All right, thanks for the call. 303-873-1935. Do I have time to take this call, Jimbo? Okay. We'll come back, and I know that the caller wants to talk about the subject of does God have a body. And I know that many of our Mormon friends, our LDS friends, um, there are people who believe that God has a body. Does he? And um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And I do just in the in the in the few moments uh, that I have left, do want to remind everyone that uh, a little bit later on, um, I am hopefully uh, this week I'm going to be at um, Grace Bible Church. I'm going to continue my study in the book of of Colossians. And, you know, one of the things people wonder about, again, about God is, does he have a form? Does he have a physical, corporeal, material body. You know, people want to know, what does God look like? And there are those who reason that since human beings are made in the image of God, then that must mean that God has a body, because we have a body. And again, there's several references that speak at least anthropomorphically or anatomically to uh, God having a body. But the scriptures teach that God is spirit in John chapter 4, verse 24. And by nature, by nature, God is a spirit being. However, a pers- however you define a spirit, the definition doesn't include flesh and blo- bones. And so that's obviously... Uh, related to the passage that I talked about earlier in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, where the physically resurrected Jesus says, Behold my hands and my feet, it is I. Handle me and see that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So Jesus clearly said a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. God is a spirit. Well, does that mean he does or he doesn't have a physical form? Well, hopefully I'll talk about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. 